Hi everyone, thank you for tuning in yet again to another episode of the podcast. So we've done defining success in the Desi household from a girl's perspective. Now let's flip it over. Sanjay is a good friend of mine from university who brings a unique angle to defining success from a male's perspective. He grew up in Singapore and moved to England to study medicine. Now we do go off on our tangents in this episode, but I promise it's all worth hearing. Some parts of our conversation is a little controversial, so please tune into another episode if that's not for you. So whether you're driving home from work, winding down on the sofa, or just out for a walk, turn the volume up ever so slightly and enjoy. Hi Sanjay, how's it going? Hey Shaz, I'm doing all right, how are you? I'm good, thank you. I'm good, thank you. How have you been? What have you been up to? Um, yeah, just um, been working, had a couple of days off, um, back to work soon, but just um, looking forward to the new year. Happy new year, by the way. Oh yeah, happy new year to you too. Yeah, every time I speak to you, you're always like, oh Shaz, I'm just on a night shift. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll speak to you in the morning or I'll text you when I wake up. I'm like, oh my God, how many night shifts does this guy have? But I give it, I hand it to you. It's not something that I could do. <laughs> Honestly, with all the shifts that you get, like I'm literally just texting people, oh, I'll get back to you. I don't actually like immediately text anymore just because of how much like rest we need after. But no, yeah, of course, you know, I can imagine because that with all the and also when you say oh, I'll get back to you and then you've not had enough sleep and your <laughs> your REM cycles all over the place, I can imagine it being super super hard but yeah no thank you for taking the time out to actually join me on my podcast because I know you're uber busy um being a doctor and all and having a social life and whatnot but um the reason why I really wanted you to be on this podcast is because you have a very interesting childhood and Mm -hmm. I think from from when I first met you to now I've always seen this um excuse me listeners by the way I've got a cold so please bear with but um I've always seen this streak of discipline in you and this streak of just staying focused and on target and on on goal. So I found it very intriguing when I was kind of thinking about who would be on this episode. And I thought, hang on a minute, Sanjay would be really good for this one. So um, so I'm really glad. Thank you for joining me today. Oh, no, thank you for having me. Hopefully um, you know, we have a really nice chat. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure we will. But um, let's get straight stuck into it. So sure. um, how I structured this with Manisha doesn't necessarily have to go the same way. It's I think I just started with your childhood. Mm-hmm. I think I want to start there because I like I said before in my previous um, episode, I think a lot of our behaviours are learnt from a younger age, a much younger age, more than we are consciously aware so I think you know some of the things that I picked up when I was two years old have still stuck with me at the age of 27. Yeah definitely I didn't realize how many habits um, really stick and even die hard until you get to your later like teens and even in your 20s you still realize oh maybe that's something I picked up at a very very young age. Yeah yeah so this is what I want to talk about with you so in particular what was your childhood like growing up and how do you feel like that molded you to be the person that you are today? So to give a brief kind of um, overview, um, I was born and raised in Singapore when my family moved to from India. I'm uh, ethnicity wise, I'm South mm. Indian Tamil. Um, both my parents as well as my brother, um, they moved from South India to Singapore where I was born. 
spent most of my childhood there before coming here and spent my teenage years here and well till up till now essentially so I felt that growing up I was that kind of a typical naughty child um <laughs> the, the younger one that's always naughty and even my brother was like probably the more uh, responsible one yeah um, I was kind of in this cycle of you know getting on the wrong side of my parents doing something that they didn't like and then trying to make up for it by trying to get in their good books whether it's you know helping out my mom yeah. or, or you know doing something that my dad would be proud of and then rinse and repeat <laughs> no of course. Um, so, so reeling that back in a little bit I'm sure listeners will be intrigued to know what what your definition of a naughty child was so give us some examples of what you used to do that used to kind of rub your mum and dad up the wrong way (laughs) (laughs) I think um things like speaking out of turn like you know um maybe if I could give some examples like if I was going to temple with my parents um you know um you kind of have this you have to put on this kind of demeanor of being calm and composed even as a child when you go to temple but I was just running around just you know (laughs) playing with like random people um just not being not doing what I'm being told and things like that just not being respectful generally yeah um and then obviously my parents would kind of make it known that you know that wasn't um they didn't appreciate that that wasn't nice you know um, so how would they make how do they make it known because with me oh my god I got the glare (laughs) I got the glare from my mom, Sanjay, and the glare was so much more scary than getting a dunda or or a shoe and her chasing after me. Like I would say, don't worry, I've had those moments as well, and I'm sure we can all relate in that area. But the glare was the scariest thing for me. So how did they make it known that what you're doing is essentially naughty? I think if it was in public, they would just not react to anything I would do. They would completely keep a stern face um, and just act like I wasn't their child, essentially. (laughs) Obviously, I had to return to them. I had to go back to the car or just walk back with them. And that's when I knew, like, if they were keeping quiet, I was like, I was trying to, like, think of things I could do to try and lessen the punishment I would get going back home. (laughs) So it would be a glare. It would be like, you know. You know, I would start like envisioning things like, oh, the shoe's going to fly and things like that. But, you know, it would be (laughs) just my perception, really. Um, But, yeah, no, I would get a turning off most of the time and then um, I would get the kind of silent treatment. And then I would Mm. slowly have to do things like maybe even small things like doing your homework on time or um, helping out with chores and things to slowly like get back to the usual way they would be with me. Okay, so that's really interesting because what you what you're saying about having anticipating that your parents are going to be upset. So they obviously had a certain behavior or a certain reaction to you being naughty, which you learnt as a child. And then you kind of, in a way, was conditioned to thinking, hmm, okay, what can I do to kind of make this easier for myself? And that's when you you know you kind of knew what to do which was doing your homework on time and it was in a way a sense of discipline that was being instilled on you because of how they reacted to how naughty you'd been and I can relate in that sense because if I'd been naughty I'd get the glare and I would know that okay I probably shouldn't open the chocolates jar for a little while (laughs) I probably should make my bed and clean my room I probably should I don't know, just make sure I'm downstairs for dinner on time and help clean up and wash up. So I think as children, especially in a Desi parenting household, we all have gone through something a bit similar. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think um, a lot of the lessons that you learned are through this silent treatment rather than, you know, getting us sitting down and being kind of explained to as to what happened, what you did, why you why it could be seen what you did was wrong, essentially. Mm. Um, you know, it's more of you kind of internally realizing through your the reaction that you get from your parents. Yeah, of course, of course. And I think I think you were talking about how um you were doing your homework and you knew that this would you know, lead to your parents essentially being okay with you again. But also, on the other hand, did it also lead to you getting rewards? So, for example, if you did well at school um, and if you perhaps did something that was seen as something that needed praising, would you get treated for it? Uh, yeah. Um, so if I'd done uh, well in school, um, mm -hmm. like they wanted me to, um, they would not immediately kind of give me a reward essentially um I would kind of have to ask well I did this didn't I so therefore maybe I should or maybe I'll compare with my friends and things or what, things like oh they did well in school they got this you know and kind of like give them a hint um but I would get something like you know an extra meal or yeah. um like a something that I always wanted like a toy or something um but it was kind of very rare occasions I felt like <laughs> a lot of the time that um doing well was like uh, an expectation like a norm basically that you know mm -hmm. kind of have to uh do for you know just getting by really <laughs> yeah no I understand that and I think also how parents praise their children is very different and mm -hmm. it's also very different particularly in a busy household so my parents were heavy on words of affirmation so if they're going to talk about love languages they were very heavy on words of affirmation, on physical touch. So I'd get a lot of hugs, like you've done so well, I'm so proud of you. And then I guess after that, it would be, okay, let's take you out for a meal or let's get you like a new pen pencil case or something. Cause I was just obsessed with bag person and just like with all the brats and the Barbie and all that kind of thing. So they just uh, knew what to kind of reward me with. So I'm curious as to, you know, because growing up now in terms of um, me feeling successful, I think if my parents say I'm proud of you, um, it means a lot to me um, more than, let's say, another love language, which I'm sure somebody else might value more. So how is it for you? Yeah, I'd say over the years, it's been uh, a mishmash of different things, a lot more words of affirmation now. But previously, I think as a child, it was more about um, is it gift giving? Um, mm, yeah. Uh, so that that's kind of the love language they kind of um, adopted. Um, so you know, I, I'm I'm not sure if it's kind of different with male and female. Obviously, I I don't have a, a daughter. I mean, I don't have a, <laughs> a sister. A sister. That's it. <laughs> what? I don't have a sister. So I wouldn't know how different it might be. But it was more that um, kind of gift giving and kind of letting you know that you know you've done something good therefore this is how I'm going to reward you it was less more about words of affirmation and more about yeah yeah and um just to kind of like touch upon you know receiving that love language and being praised for rewards I think in my household um unintentionally I was heavily compared to my sister 
and I think that's quite natural when you're you have siblings of a similar age or you just have siblings in general and they've done quite well so as I mentioned on the episode with Manisha my sister she went to University of Sheffield she did the law degree she did everything the in inverted commas correct way and so I always felt like a little lost child thinking okay I've got to kind of live up to that standard in some way but that was a lot of pressure that I had on me as a kid and I think it sticks with you to to some extent so I just want to know like in terms of siblings what was it like for you? Um, Yeah sure so um, I have an older brother um, and um, he is on the autistic spectrum as Mm. well as he's got a couple of learning difficulties so growing up obviously I didn't know until when I was like a younger teenager so the kind of troubles he had and um, even as a family I think we kind of acknowledged his needs at a later stage in his life rather than a younger stage maybe maybe it's because I'm growing up in Singapore Mm -hmm. where academic excellence is kind of prided on um, things like that were overlooked so with my brother um subliminally I think I kind of felt extra pressure growing up that I would um, need to overcompensate by doing well Mm. in a in a way that I you know moving forward for my family that I would need to step up and you know carry the family forward as my dad you know works and retires and my mom also retires and things so I did kind of have that added pressure yeah um over time I did think that um my parents and me ourselves as a family to be honest we had a high expectations for both of for both my brother as well as me and we um kind of realized you don't actually need to prove yourself to like your community or yourselves or Mm. you know especially as you know with my dad coming having left India or having left his relatives to make a mark um, for his family and things by moving to Singapore and then here yeah um over time that kind of changed but yes I did feel added pressure growing up Mm, that's really interesting and I think I can't help but notice um a certain pattern in your life so you know how you talked about the discipline and how your parents would discipline you and then the idea of like just needing to kind of prove yourself and in a way compensate just in general because of the family dynamic you somehow in some way felt the need to compensate and how it's all linked to also you being in the army, because I feel like there's a heavy correlation or a heavy um, reflection there where the army is also very much a reward giving environment. And I think you did well in the army. This could be just my opinion, because you'd already come from a, a similar environment. So it was kind of easier to survive in that environment I mean I could I could be completely wrong I'm assuming here but just tell us a bit more about that yeah sure um I think you kind of hit the nail on that (laughs) (laughs) I mean I don't mean to sound judgy but it's because I've known you and I've like I just I've seen you and I'm just like oh okay this is interesting (laughs) um so yeah I had to serve the army I had to do two years of conscription in Singapore every male citizen has to Um, Mm -hmm. me being born there I had to um, so as soon as I finished my A-levels, so as soon as I turned 18, I left for two years uh, by myself um, to go and do that, essentially. And yeah. when 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 I've told people this as well and things like you kind of, I think one of the main assumptions is that you've lived there 
for 13 years, you have a stronghold there, you know, you've, you kind of know everything um, that Singapore has to offer and things, but having returned, I completely felt like out of comfort zone, you know, mm. um, nothing there, you know, we left, we didn't have friends there, anything. Yeah. So I was kind of on my own to kind of figure things out. Um, initially it was a bit of a, like definitely a bit of a culture shock, mm. but what I realized is that within a month or two, I now looking back like I adjusted quite well and maybe it's like what you said how you know this pattern of you know just keeping calm and carrying on and just accepting things and just going just going forward in life that kind of attitude kind of helped me go through those two years because I'll I'll be honest it was a difficult time in my life for two Mm. years Mm. um but I sometimes I play it down when people uh, mention it and things um I actually learn a lot more about how much I've learned about myself and the skills I gained through when other people bring the topic up rather than a self-reflection no I can imagine I can imagine I mean I can't speak for you but when I think of the army I think of trauma Mm -hmm. I think of you when did you go into the army how old were you um I was 18 when I went in so at an you know you've just turned 18 and you're an adult you know technically you're an adult but realistically I'm sure in your mind you were still you know a teenager and you were still someone that had just come out of sixth form or of college so I can imagine how daunting that environment must have been for you and how it has left a mark perhaps in how you lead your life now um and I I can't help but but also sympathize because when you said that you downplay things I think that's quite a common thing that men in particular are told to do in society you know I think you're told to suppress your emotions and you know if I if I looked at you Sanjay uh, for example when we went to Portugal you are a very keep calm carry on type of person and like whenever things did go wrong in terms of we needed to be somewhere on time or we needed to find a, a location you were always the first to kind of keep calm look for what we needed to do get the job done and it seemed throughout the time that I've known you and been friends with you so yeah I just I kind of want to acknowledge that what you went through wasn't small and that I don't want you to feel that you need to downplay things because I mean you were in the army you were in the army (laughs) how many of us can say that and I bet it taught you resilience and it taught you how to deal with all different types of people and yeah it's just it's just a a a thing that you should be very proud of (laughs) yeah Yeah. I think um when I first came out from it I definitely did kind of suppress a lot of things that I had um you know gained from that or have experienced through those two years it would be through other people when they say oh you did this that's like you know that's so unheard of and I'd be like oh um okay and kind of like skirt around the topic yeah like um, what like what like you're doing you're skirting around the topic as we speak so I'm (laughs) yeah I mean like um so obviously I went in a lot of people going into the army they kind of feel patriotic they want to do it Mm. I didn't really have a choice um you know they were sending mails to me and my dad kind of um, making essentially almost threatening us to yeah. um, for me to return so that they wouldn't you know press action against us wow. um, you know my dad kind of sympathized with me and he you know he 
understood that it is two years of like you know your most defining years mm. possibly what it could be in your entire life yeah um but I I kind of you know didn't know what I wanted to do at that time you know um with my life in that in that specific time period mm-hmm. so I went with it I just didn't want uh, I didn't want um, any unnecessary action to be taken against me or my family. Um, So I just decided to go in. And I did learn a lot of things. Like I said, resilience. I learned how to deal with pressures and adversity. And like, you know, um, even like I like obviously I go on holidays to enjoy with everyone and things. But obviously things may not go right. And um, I just want everyone to have a really good time. And like, you know, maybe I kind of bring those qualities back in. Be like, okay, guys, don't worry, you'll be fine. Um, so maybe absolutely. those things are, so yeah um, absolutely and a- another thing I want to touch upon is um, I can only assume things and I'm doing a lot of assuming here I do apologize but um, okay. in the army do you have to put on this persona that you're a strong alpha male and in a way is your manhood in inverted commas in the limelight I'd say to an extent yeah mm. I think you'd have to kind of show qualities like exude these qualities out to other people um, to varying degrees, whether it's, you know, being level-headed to being a very kind of testosterone-fueled kind of Mm. persona to kind of uh, get by, you know, sometimes you'd even have to paint yourself as someone that you may not be. Right. I think uh, a lot of the time, if you did kind of show a level of qualities that aren't uh, really associated with what it's like being your stereotypical man or mm. even the opposite showing qualities of you know some you know some would say you'd associate to uh, being like feminine or woman-like mm. it would kind of affect your team dynamic it would affect um, the way you'd be treated in the camp um, how so how so good question I think a lot of what happens in the army is you kind of form groups mm. um, and, you know, the more recognized your group is amongst peers and the more, I'd say, like, popular you are and things um, compared yeah. to everyone else, those people seem to have a much easier time than others who are a bit alienated or are kind of doing their own thing. Mm. Uh, things like that you know um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stereotype here because like I watch it in the movies right and you've got um <laughs> I'm gonna go with Forrest Gump and how uh have you seen Forrest Gump by the way uh I have yeah yeah you have so like, Tom Hanks and how he's he's managed to assemble one of those rifles in a yeah. in, in a number <laughs> amount of seconds and how he's managed to trudge through the mud and he's kind of number one in 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 achieving all those things and it it shows his manhood and it shows that he's a good army soldier and I think that's what I see the army being like. I don't know if I'm stereotyping that. Um, I think to some extent, maybe. Okay. Um, <laughs> I think also another thing we have to take the card of Singapore. I don't think they're in any sort of war or anything at the moment. So mm. some of it is kind of, you, it's, you can compare it to other armies, you know, when we're currently in some sort of war. Yeah, I'd say things that you learned in the army and you show proficiency in, would kind of gain some sort of recognition and you'd kind of be seen as, oh, okay, he's got some skill to him and therefore we're not going to mess with him, things like that. Okay, so, and also you were rewarded for your discipline, weren't you? So what kind of rewards were you were you given during the, during that time? 
So rewards range from things, um, various things, but I, to kind of summarize that, uh, is that and when I kind of had this mindset that when you go into the army, um, your the level of rights that you have, even as a human, you just have to lower that down. And that's right. like your basic norm. Mm. When you are rewarded, you're given an, a basic human right, essentially. And that's your reward. Wow. So, for example, this could be as an extra day off, like how you would get an off day in lieu here when you're working, yeah. or you get an extra meal where if you want to go out, treat yourself to a meal, like you can go and do that. So mm-hmm. that you'd have to earn something. Um, so yeah, that's how you would be rewarded. Essentially, you'd be given a right that you would normally have outside. Just you have to lower your expectations of how you be treated on a day-to-day basis in camp. Oh wow. And I think this just fits into um your childhood a little bit because you you've learned this from classical conditioning from a young age of okay, well, I need to do my homework and I need to make my bed and I need to do this and I need to do that. And I guess I guess you are used to being rewarded for discipline. So can I say that that part perhaps became became easier for you? Yeah, I'd say so. I think to some extent for sure. I think I kind of I wouldn't relate the army to the way that my parents treated me. No, of course not. not, I think, (laughs) yeah, but I would say what I'm trying to say, oh no, I don't don't mean it in that way. What I'm trying to say is, I'm trying to say that there is some, there is some similarity. Of course, it's not to that extent in the army, but it's the similarity of perhaps being rewarded for good behaviours. That's what I'm trying to get at. So I think in the army, it was like, you're rewarded for discipline. Whereas at home, I think, you know, you might have been rewarded for getting a good grade at, at school or things like that so it's it's always being rewarded in, in, in a gift giving way you know what yeah. I mean and I think yeah, that's absolutely. that's something that you were quite aware of and that was something that you kind of were comfortable with because you're used to that at home because I think I would seriously falter in the army because no one's telling me that they're proud of me and no one's telling me that I'm doing a good job <laughs> and I need that and I need that reassurance it's not because I'm a woman it's because that's how I've been brought up and I think yeah I think um, it would not have come easy to me like it has for you <laughs> I think so yeah I think that's one oh of really the... you really think so Sanjay? no I mean, <laughs> I'm speaking about myself <laughs> I'm joking I'm joking <laughs> so I think um that's why I was able to kind of get on with the army within a month or two um, mm. because I could see that that was what you needed to do to get by essentially to um, kind of switch on that mentality. No, of course. And like you said that, you know, just to balance it out, you said that there was um, some bad behaviours that you would almost get punished for. So what were the bad behaviours? So things like, I think, you know, uh, if you falter from the discipline that they teach you, for example, if you didn't keep your space clean, whether it's your bed or your cupboard, or mm. as a team, you didn't clean like um, your uh, room well enough, or you didn't do a certain task well enough, mm-hmm. um, you would be kind of punished. Some things could range as, you know, um, doing extra push ups on the floor or being given extra guard duty. So you'd have to stay over in camp. Um, I didn't uh, really have an issue with uh, a lot of the things as long as, um, you know, they weren't being very uh, derogatory with their comments. And that's yeah. that's when I'll be like, OK, this is a bit unfair. Yeah. But yeah, I think even that getting used to that, um, 
normally I probably wouldn't have been, but maybe some aspect of the conditioning and things, you know, as growing up and, you know, my initial days in the army kind of got used to it. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So let's time travel a little bit. So you've obviously, we've obviously talked about your childhood all the way up to you being 18 and being in the army. And now you're almost shaped as an adult. So this is adult Sanjay come out of the army. He's this disciplined, neat, good behaviored guy (laughs) Um, who is now going to go out into the big wide world. And this is the part, you know, because a lot of people don't know, but Sanjay is a doctor. Um, So this is the part that I want to go on to in terms of choosing your career. So did you always want to do medicine or do you feel like external, you had external influences? I think I had external influences mm-hmm. at the start, definitely. I think I was quite a, you know, um, confused individual uh, when I was younger and in school. Mm-hmm. I needed direction, definitely. Because um, you were a that... naughty boy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, my dad... Uh, definitely gave me a lot of that direction Um, I think he definitely wanted me to do well and I kind of did wanted to do well in life as I realized in my teenage years that you know he my parents have you know have gone against a lot in their life to give me a life that's different from uh, my cousins and where they're from essentially yeah yeah Um, so he kind of steered me towards the whole STEM direction as well as probably thinking about lawyer, engineering, accountancy, medicine. The, yeah, the like typical that. criteria. The typical criteria, <laughs> the ones that, you know, get that recognition, yeah. <laughs> um, so definitely my dad was even giving me a lot of like, you know, uh, giving me a lot of league table rankings and things like that and giving me like, op- taking me to open days and things. And I just generally gained an interest, at the start, just generally gained an interest to wanting to go to university through Mm -hmm. just the life, the uni life. And then later on, I did develop a lot more interest to doing medicine uh, because of when I was um, taking my mom to a lot of her appointments and just seeing how it would be like to work in a healthcare Mm -hmm. setting. And I was being told by my parents and by my teachers, sorry, that um, I wouldn't be able to get into medicine so I was, the stubborn side in me came out as well so I want to that, prove you uh, wrong so it's yeah. this element of proving wrong that I think is a constant dialogue isn't it like we've talked about this previously just in the podcast so the element of proving that you can you can be the best that you can be on like proving people wrong is 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 something that's that's there yeah absolutely yeah. Yeah, I think so um I think you always want to challenge um the norm and or some sort of opinion that you have against you to kind of and correct me if I'm wrong but I feel this proving people wrong thing is a collective thing that we as an Asian community have and I think especially in my family it stems from the fact that when we came here uh, when my dad came here he was incredibly discriminated against so it was the element of you know what I'm going to prove you wrong and I'm going to make it and I think that that approach and that way of thinking has somehow been delivered to me as a child and I have a similar mindset so when I was at school similar to you a teacher may have said that you know and I have to be honest it might have been a white teacher in particular that might have said oh um 
you might not be able to do this or you might not be able to do that and in my head I'm thinking who the hell are you to tell me that I can and can't do something but I don't know if I would have had that same that same hostility if it was perhaps someone of my of a similar culture to me because like I said it's it's come down from the whole discrimination thing that my dad has had to go through so so yeah I think it, it's collectively a thing in our in our, in our society mm, absolutely I think my my uh, my dad has also gone through a lot of experiences like that whether it's working in Singapore or here and a lot of the things that he would talk about after coming back from work kind of would I'd pick up certain things growing up like you mm. know I, I definitely do agree that you know growing up that that healthy or whether you want to call it healthy or unhealthy competition that stems from one needing feeling to the need to prove people wrong to even gain a um a standing similar uh, on a similar level to everyone else around you especially yeah. as a um person of ethnic minority in so and so country mm. um it kind of does push you to do much better in life but I think over the years I think we've come a long way now and even with whatever I've learned from how I've been treated or how people were treated in the army or you know uh, how um, medicine has taught me a lot of different things I've definitely learned to treat to try and treat everyone with equally with the respect and healthy competition is always needed but yeah but um, I think yeah. just just to touch up on that I think you know this whole thing of having to prove them wrong them being society I think it almost becomes a poison within our society so if we go to social gatherings there might be we might be pitted against other children in that social gathering and I was talking about this with Manisha it can't it becomes that unhealthy competition and it adds a lot of pressure so you're right in the sense where healthy competition is so important but there is still a great element of having to prove that oh look my son's done this or my daughter's done this and it adds a lot of pressure on the child and yeah, um, absolutely. yeah so as as a as a guy you know you are a doctor and you've been in the army now that puts you on a very high Rishta scale, I must say. <laughs> um, so, you know, it puts you on a very on the high end of the social ladder, let's face it. And um, how has that made your mum and dad feel? And what has that done for you? Yeah, you do get those like, oh yeah, my son's done this, my son's done that kind of thing. And, <laughs> yeah. you know, even with people that you've never met before and they already like put you on such a high pedestal that you don't even feel like you deserve and then if it boils down to it like you only know my name and what I do you've never really like you know like seen me day to day and you've already had such like like they put me on this high like pedestal pedestal essentially and you have this high kind of level of respect for me which I find it quite weird to be honest but you yeah you uh, kind of hit the nail on the target there literally like it does happen quite a lot um do you, do you feel like you get validation from it or do you would you feel something different I think um uh, like I said previously how I don't realize how much I may have accomplished in life unless some people have mentioned to me yeah. um I don't still don't see as getting um validation from it to be honest I think that's really interesting uh, I do think that 
um, whether it's a stereotype or whatever, I still kind of downplay it and kind of say, oh, well, yeah, I just had to do it or that's what I wanted to do and things like that. Um, I don't think that's a stereotype. I think that's just you being humble. <laughs> I mean, I don't really pride on these things. No, because I, I think, honestly, if if I, I don't want to generalise here, but I tend to do, do this a lot when it comes to the topic of men, and I do apologise. You know, I like men. I don't not like them. But I think if somebody <laughs> else was a doctor and they were in the army, they would start with that. You know, they would showcase it. You know, because yeah. it's, it's the ultimate showing of I can save people's lives and I can fight for my country. And mm -hmm. I think that is attractive to a lot of people and I think that's something that someone else potentially would would go by you know that's something that they would kind of define themselves as but you being the humble person as, as you are and this is why I, I like you because it's you are just so you're just so within the now and you're so about people as a person and not defining yourselves through your successes because the whole reason why we ha I'm having these episodes with, with you and Manisha is because I think a lot of my life I have defined myself through my successes. And it's I think it's it's unhealthy to do that because you you forget and you for you lose yourself along the way and you forget who you are. It's important to really look within and think, are you a good person? You know, are you a kind person? Are you content within yourself? And I think you strike me as someone who values those qualities more mm -hmm. I think I completely understand where you come from when you know there are I would say that I've met a couple of guys in my life who do pride on the things they do and they do bring it up in their first instance even just meeting them they would say oh yeah this is what I do da, 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 da. you know it might come from um you know you asking them or you not even asking them and then actually mentioning it but I think as compared to as a woman sometimes you might even need to you know feel like you have to put your achievements out there because um you know like some of the topics that you've mentioned with um, Manisha sometimes you need to kind of say what you've done to even be acknowledged as an individual as a person to even yeah. like get by in life so I completely understand both perspectives and I think as humans I could be wrong but I think as humans it's natural that we we want praise and we want acknowledgement. Like if we're going to talk about that basic gathering setting, in a way, it's kind of like a show for the aunties and the uncles. And we are we are on the stage and it's like, so what do you do? It's an interview. And it's like, so what do you do? And how would, how did you do that? And what else do you do? And it's kind of like they've got this subconscious checklist in their head that yeah. they are ticking as they speak to you and they've probably never spoken to you in your life all they know is so-and-so's son is a doctor and he's in the army or he was in the army and they probably don't even know your name at that point but it already puts you at the top of the list and you tend to be the star of the show in that gathering do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah definitely. I would say that a wedding is definitely a combination of a pageant and like <laughs> a networking kind of situation it's absolutely. never really about the couple is it <laughs> absolutely you've got that runway down the middle which a lot of people think are for the bride and groom but let's face it, it's for your time to shine so you walk down the middle you find your seat um you find your seat to kind of sit down and then you've got the aunties and the uncles looking over like oh who's that who's that whose son's that mm. and that's where it all starts and you're looking your best so I do 
I do um, agree with that. Um, but yeah, no, just to kind of touch upon the pressures that you feel as a man now. So you mentioned before that within your family dynamic, you felt the need to compensate. So I just want to know what pressures have you felt that have been associated with that? Um, yeah, so I think moving forward uh, with my family, some of the pressures I felt is kind of how I would be seen as one of their sons carrying that family forward mm. as a unit, especially as how I've mentioned that my parent, my family are the only ones who have left, you know, India, the whole caste system and everything to go to Singapore to make a life and then come back come here to England and then start making a life here. Yeah. Um, I definitely felt pressures as to how, you know, um, my relatives would see me or how my immediate, you know, family friends here would see me mm. um, moving forward, especially now that my parents have retired. So definitely a lot of kind of holding this, um, whether it's financial status or just having the family reputation, just having those kind of pressures on your shoulder. So that's what you feel. You feel like the family's reputation falls heavily on your shoulders. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah, I think combination with you know, um, you know, being the the child that has a career now. Yeah. Uh, definitely felt that. Yeah. No, I can imagine. I can imagine. And also, let's face it, we are still in this patriarchal society. Um, I would I don't want to say this but this is just my opinion I think it's very heavily prevalent still in our cultures and so I kind of understand the pressure of you feeling like can I say you feeling like the new face of your family that and oh, yeah yeah you feel like you have to kind comment. of carry it forward yeah yeah I'd say that's a fair comment for sure I think even in my family a lot of the the, the sons are valued more than daughters right. across my cousins as the ones to kind of carry the carry them forward like the daughters are always the ones that are married off to a different family yeah that that kind of association is still there even though a lot has changed in the last in our generation of mm. um you know the cousins and myself and things like you know things are changing but I do definitely feel like that's that element of you know them the son even if they're the younger son mm. and there might be an elder daughter age is not really a factor I think the son is the one seen as uh, the person to carry the family forward so this is really enlightening for me because me and Manisha we were complaining about how as a Asian woman we have to have a criteria to be fit for marriage or to be seen as marriageable um, and we were just saying that men get it easy because we obviously have all these pressures we have to live up to a certain standard so that you know people will or people in the community will potentially want us for their family and I have never seen it from the other perspective and I'm really glad we've done this podcast because I never realized that there was so much pressure on one individual to carry the whole family forward and that you feel that way and the whole idea of having that financial status and having that status in general academically and financially is very burdensome so I understand I understand now that you guys don't actually get it that easy like you also have some struggles that you have to go through as well and I acknowledge that so I, I can only assume you are expected to marry well as well 
Yeah, I think, you know, having made a life, you'd be expected to, uh, as anyone would. So that's because you, a lot of different desi cultures, you kind of not just marry the person, you kind of marry the whole family. The family, it's a typical and thing. You don't marry the family. person, you marry the family. <laughs> it's a really typical thing that they ever, everyone Absolutely. says. Yeah, yeah um, that's definitely there. Um, but I think I think a couple of things are changing, especially within my family. Um, as I've mentioned with my brother, um, my sister-in-law is actually kind of the breadwinner in his immediate kind of school. Oh, amazing. Now, things are actually changing, which is actually quite nice. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, uh, you know, those are definitely some valid points you brought up there. Um, and I think, you know, maybe the pressures, you know, like how you mentioned just now that you've kind of come to realise that, you know, even they see men have pressures um, mm. that's not uh, as you know talked about as much as women but I think that goes in possibly hand in hand with the fact that maybe possibly men don't really talk about their problems as much amongst this, other this is this is what I'm gonna say I feel like you guys have pressures and I must say us women are definitely more vocal um, and I think this is this is what I kind of want to bring to light at the moment I think men or boys, when they're younger, and correct me if I'm wrong, they're kind of told to don't cry or, you know, don't be emotional, just get on with it. Whereas women, we're taught to be, to express our emotions and to be very open and honest about how we're feeling. So we grow up very emotionally available. And then you've got men, uh, not all men, but a lot of men in our community who are not emotionally available and so that's where the clashes happen in terms of relationships and in terms of understanding one another and you know now that I look at what you're saying in a man's eyes he's probably got the pressure of trying to be successful of getting that good job getting that good financial status being the new face of his family and then on top of that he's got a little checklist that he has to reach so he has to meet his parents expectations you know the aspect of marrying well providing for someone owning their own property it's it's kind of a checklist that they have and that's probably why they're not emotional or not they're not I've not seen them to be as emotional as women because of all this added pressure they've had in their mind and also being told don't be such a girl you know mm-hmm. yeah I think a lot of things I learned through um as a young child whether it's through their family upbringing as well as you know um, social peer pressure mm. or how society views men and how you kind of go along with that so all of those factors can compound to make men seem like that and I would say that uh, to an extent that is true definitely so do you Um, feel like you went through that as a child where you kind of felt like you weren't supposed to suppress your emotions because it wasn't in inverted commas manly um yeah I, I think I didn't really have an outlet to express emotions I didn't really know any better to be honest you know I didn't really know until I grew up here and I started to socialize and meet different people and um, went to university and things like that. I think growing up, whether it's even within my family or um, growing up as a boy in school, trying to 
gets friends who are also like-minded or other boys and things like that um they kind of boxed your mm. perception of how to deal with emotions and things like that yeah yeah I mean like I was um I was speaking to two of my friends who um broke up and um obviously she's very in touch with her emotions and everything and one of my friends he's very much like you know he'll speak to his guy friends and his guy friends will be like it's okay bro you'll be fine you know just get on with it what do you want to do what should we do and it, it, it's more like distraction rather than feeling the pain and I think you mentioned I think you mentioned this off off air which really made me giggle how the support network for guys is going to the gym Um, (laughs) so and I think you mentioned that how they add pain to the body to forget the pain in the mind which is really interesting and to be honest I think to some extent it's a little bit healthy because obviously you're releasing those endorphins and you're getting that exercise but it's it's so interesting how the girl typically speaking has the box of tissues the ice cream the chocolates the romantic movies and that that space and candles to talk about their feelings and then you've got the guys just pumping weights at the gym and just trying to trying to stay on it like it, it's really interesting how that's the dynamic at the moment and yeah. that's how you know that it, like you said you didn't have an outlet so you guys have almost had to create that outlet but still in a inverted commas manly environment do you know what I mean yeah yeah I think with also what you mentioned how like some guys would just respond with it's okay bro don't worry you'll get through this I think it's they don't really know how to kind of um, address how you're feeling and things for uh, as mates even like you don't really know the language you'd use with your mates and things but things are changing now which is great but I completely understand yeah the whole gym thing I think that's definitely a a thing I think when people break up you know the guys are the first ones to hit the gym and people think oh they just want to look good for the next girl but I think subliminally (laughs) you just want to kind of release those immediate endorphins because you rely on those exactly and I think because I mean I could be wrong Sanjay I'm not a guy but because you guys haven't been given the platform to know how to navigate your emotions getting those really overwhelming emotions can be unbearable so I feel like in a way you might feel a bit out of control and you don't know what to do which is why going to the gym is a way of just regulating the emotions because women talk about things and they heal through journaling and everything and I'm not saying for a moment that guys don't do that I've I know a lot of my guy friends who are doing that now and they're a lot more mentally happier but I'm just saying conventionally that's perhaps another reason why the gym is such a popular place to go and looking at the next um project or looking at the next financial opportunity and keeping themselves busy because they need to be successful and emotions are going to run them down essentially (laughs) yeah I think um I think maybe possibly they could be looking at emotions in that way as being a hindrance to you know moving Mm -hmm. forward and succeeding in life but maybe it's also a thing of they just um I just haven't really got the idea of how to navigate them and as yeah. you know a lot of people do uh, whether man or woman they may not be able to immediately navigate them but um yeah I feel like as far as um gender's perspective goes um 
men deal with emotions in that way it, as a stereotype we'd say but in general yeah they they would I'd say yeah no that's really interesting and um yeah no I I mean I I I think my eyes have been opened a little bit and the whole idea of giving guys the benefit of the doubt is definitely more appealing after speaking to you um and I think it's you know it's nice to see now that men are getting more in touch with their emotions and that it's not seen as an unmanly thing anymore like I've seen videos of men crying as they're as their bride-to-be walks down the aisle and I've seen like I think one person in particular shines out to me he's a celebrity Dwayne Johnson where he is very in touch with his emotions and he is this big guy like if you look if you think about manly aesthetically you think of Dwayne Johnson and he he is so in touch with his emotions and he's so his emotional intelligence level is incredible and I think this is the start of of a of a better era for men emotionally and I think that will in turn help them to also redefining success for themselves because in my eyes from what you said today success is yes very much perceived as you carrying the family name forward and you being the new face of the family but just to end on a on on an interesting note you individually what would you say success means to you I would say success means to me as being completely content Mm -hmm. with your life in the present and in the near future yeah and how that brings positivity to your immediate surroundings and your loved ones without any sort of expectations without any you know perceived level of um like a milestone or something that you'd need to reach I Mm. think that content I'd say if I was one word that I could relate to to uh, success it would be content okay well that that is such a good answer like I couldn't have said it better myself and I think I think that's a really healthy answer and it really shows that us as a new generation have started to take a new mindset um, because I think I'm not going to lie, I, if anything, have had a boy's perspective in a way in, in, in defining success because I've always felt like I needed to be successful in every, in every way. I needed to make achievements, whether they're financial or academic. But this year, I've really tried to go into the mindset to live in the moment and just to be content in the moment. And when I'm happy and content and I'm at peace, that is when I feel like, I am successful and I'm trying to adopt that mindset maybe I need to have more chats with you it seems like it 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 might be a good thing going forward um but yeah I just want to say thank you so much for being on this podcast today I know we've jumped around in terms of this conversation but those make the best conversations and you know thank you for giving us an insight into your life and how to be honest how challenging it has been and I know you say that you you play down you being in the army and you achieving all these things but I think you need to play it up man like you need to validate yourself and just just say yeah I I have done these things and I'm proud of myself and give yourself those words of affirmation that perhaps you've never done (laughs) you know (laughs) no I really appreciate this chat honestly thank you Shaz because um I've really learned a lot about myself through this chat and I completely agree actually that I ought to um, you know 
acknowledge the things that I've done in the past and you know things I've um, achieved and things because I shouldn't really get that sense of accomplishment through just from others it should really come from innately so I really understand that um so thank you I really had a really good time Oh, good. I'm sorry if I've gone a bit therapist on you, by the way. I've never no, I've you never haven't. Meant to you do haven't. that. Really nice. I, I do. think we were going back and forth. I think <laughs> we had a little bit of an argument in, in between there. Yeah, I think <laughs> we did. I think we did. But no, it's all good. But no, thank you so much. And I hope to speak to you soon. Hope to speak to you soon. Bye. Ah, he's such a great guy. I love speaking with Sanjay. Thank you for listening into this episode of the podcast. As a disclaimer, all of the content is based on personal opinion. We do not wish to offend anyone. However, if you would like to get in touch, please message me at Bamswood Shaz on Instagram. Bye for now.